to ghost stories for the end of the world we are back baby the dark cloud has rolled across the sky once again the sun ain't gonna shine for the next 70 minutes or so because l'enfant terrible has returned with his swedish pals to share more revelations from the swedish psychosphere And yeah, tonight we're going to be talking about guns, we're going to be talking about banking, drugs, George Bush, Oliver North, the CIA, and little by little, step by step, I think you're going to start to realize we're getting closer and closer to Gladio. As ever, a massive thanks to Marcus of Return of the Repressed and his boy Sebastian, our boy. Sebastian, let's bring it in for the incredible work really that they've done on this series. It's been absolutely fascinating to get to grips with the material and the information that they've been kind enough to share with me and with you. And going by the very nice messages I've received on, you know, the Patreon and Gmail and Twitter, it seems that both of them have rapidly become fan favorites. If you would like to hire them, then you know what my Gmail is and we can talk about appearance fees and percentages, of course. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's do it, friends. This is part six of our Olaf Palme series, Swedish Guns. The last episode we ended with the Scandiaman, and 
it might seem like it is true that the Scandiaman is the first on site, and it is true that we have started to hint at, you know, some possible connections of the very firm that he worked at, and the, you know, what are the odds of him walking out as the last, you know, working employee in the whole office building uh, at the right, you know, we're talking minutes <laughs> that he's, you know, there on site as one of the first people on site. But um, if we want to start connecting things to a bigger picture, we should probably do that uh, by the very instructions of the people who first pointed towards the Scandiaman. Because as they were, we we did, you know, clarify how they were outmaneuvered by their, well, bosses and possible, you know, snitching colleagues. You know, if, if uh, there was the man who worked for the security inspection unit at the Scandia building, and then there was also the... Uh, uh, heavy crime unit uh, chief within the police and you know one retired perhaps a bit early and the other was moved into like an impossible position and basically forced to retire well both of what the, they they work together on the scandiaman and making it into a lead like an unofficial lead and uh, when this lead was picked up decades later uh, they told an investigative journalist that on their own part, I don't think they had any connections later in life. Like I don't know, I don't think they were very close friends. But they did say to him uh, one by one that um, at the bottom of all this was not something that Palmer had done, but something that he was about to do. And they say that the weapons were at the bottom of this whole mystery. And when we talk about weapons in in Sweden, we're talking about Bufosh. We're talking about the Bufosh scandal, which is actually a two-set uh, scandal, a two-part scandal that uh, came about in the mid and early 80s. And so Bofors is a really, really old weapons company. They, uh, they made the bayonets for the 30-year war, right? So th- they were there at the beginning of capitalism, basically. And... Uh, and I know, Matt, like you, you haven't been living on the moon for, you know, the last 15 years of your adult life. So uh, you, you're familiar with the Nobel Prize, right? What's that? <laughs> 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 so, so the Nobel Prize is like, you know, uh, it is, let's talk as if there are some people living on the moon. Like, so this, you know, it's an, a world-renowned uh, uh, ceremony of... Uh, awards to various professions within science and peace. The Bufosh would never have become uh, an international company if it wasn't for the, the man who, who, whose stipendium or his, you know, the trust fund that, that uh, was founded after Alfred Nobel, who is the man who inv- invented dynamite, by the way, like if uh, people are not familiar with that. Well, he saved Bufosh in the, in the end of the 19th century. He... Uh, uh, he came back from France, uh, where he, for some reason, he had been living, uh, and he, as a sort of business angel, ca- uh, brought B- Bofors back on its uh, legs because uh, it it was deep in competition with the Krupps, the German um, uh, cannon uh, manufacturer, right? And uh, yeah, uh, very 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 old family as well. The the Krupp family goes back to like. Well, the, the Black Death, basically. They were prospecting on land lost by people uh, who had died in the plague. Like It's harder to find a, like, a sort of more 
uh, nefarious original crime of a family than that. But uh, Bofors is up there as well. And uh, yeah, so Alfred Nobel saved that company basically. And uh, and by doing that, he also uh, secured the future of the Nobel Prize stipendium because had he not done that, had he not invested his fortune into Bofors, uh, his wealth would probably have stayed within his French estate and been split you know, up by his, uh, by his family. And so there would never have been a Nobel uh, Prize. Not, not that you know, we've been you know, none the wiser or whatever, uh, with or without it. Like, you know, it's a bull- Ever since Kissinger got the Peace Prize, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a made-up award. <laughs> it's not, it doesn't mean anything. Um, when they gave it to Obama preemptively. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> before he'd yeah. done anything at all. Yeah, I mean, that really did stick it. Uh, that, that was <laughs> the end of it. Um. So uh, yeah, so the man who invited dynamite uh, at the big, at the end of the nineteenth century, Bofors becomes a, an international corporation. Uh, they did. Um, you remember how we quoted Winston Churchill in the first episode, as one always should, um, about the uh, dubious morals of the the Swedish nation, and uh, got a hand it to Churchill in a way he was sort of correct because we did supply the Nazis with the. Uh, the Haubitzers or like the artillery that uh, was shelling the the Desert Fox, right? Montgomery. The uh, after Nelson, maybe the the second most famous military man in in British history, uh, and <laughs> gave him a rough time over there. So it's a it's a corporation of uh, a dark past, and tonight we're gonna make it even darker. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Nobel, he was also heavily involved in um, the oil fields in Baku in uh, Azerbaijan or Russia uh, at the time uh, and was one of the yeah he's one uh, he's really up there as one of the uh, the largest uh, uh, capitalists and his entire family as well uh, of the like uh, of Swedish history uh, and of course they they lost this with the Russian Revolution, uh, and this is uh, something that they were not so happy about, you, as you can imagine. Uh, but if we go back to Bofors, then so yeah, it's one of the the largest uh, arms companies in uh, in um, Europe, uh, and today I think it's uh, acquired by uh, uh, the uh, the British um, BAE Systems. Uh, that uh, acquired, uh, or I think it's a merger of a Swedish company and uh, a British company. Um, what, what's the BAA the, systems? Is it is a weapons man, British man, weapons manufacturer as well? Or yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yes, it's one of the largest in the world. I think yeah. it's really ghoulish as well, actually BAE, because there are a shitload of Tory MPs who have shares. They own shares in BAE, so every time we, you know start one of our little regime change operations or mm-hmm. help, you know, like support Saudi Arabia and Yemen, those guys get fucking money, you know, from yes, the yes, resulting yes. stock boost. Um, what, what about Reese Morg? Or Reese Morg, what's his name? Reese Morg. I'm not face? sure. I, it wouldn't surprise me if he does. I know Theresa May and her husband earn shares in BAE. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and uh, they own the uh, Bofors now. So it's like a... Um, a sister company or uh, 
uh, under BAE uh, systems. Um, and they still have the production, I think, in, in Sweden. Uh, but so they're uh, heavily involved in uh, in like the top uh, arms trades uh, of Europe. Uh, and I think they were acquired in 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a it's an old company. It's been around for almost four hundred years uh, and been profiting uh, of wars uh, since uh, that time uh, in the Thirty Years' War. Um, so it's uh, yeah, they have a lot of blood on their hands, and we will see this um, also ties into to the the topic at hand, the the murder of uh, Olaf Palme. And in that regard, should we mention first that uh, uh, that Stig Engström has personal connections also to this? It's not just the, the geopolitical larger macro picture which connects Bofors to our story. Actually, Stig Engström's wife uh, was high up within Bofors and so was that uh, wife's sister, uh, who's the husband of who uh, was also, you know, very high up in the Bufosh hierarchy. And uh, they used to stay, like, uh, in, in an interview with the, the ex-wife of um, the Scandia man, who, by the way, uh, when asked, like, sort of point blank, what will solve the, the, the Palmer mystery, she said something like, uh, oh, it will never be solved unless somebody snitches, which is a weird thing for a middle-aged or late middle-aged, uh, I mean, l- l- senior lady to, to say about the Palmer murder. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know. Like, like jail talk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> After, like, the divorced yeah. husband at the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she, 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 yeah, because in the, um, I remember the, the quote when she says it, and the, the journalist goes to her house, and she's uh, uh, talking about Stig Engström. It's like... Uh, and then just drops that out of nowhere. <laughs> yes. so, uh, I, I don't have any connection, and I don't know anything about this. But if I, if I did, uh, what I know is that nobody would talk. Like, yeah. So it's just a weird thing to just drop, yeah. you know? Yeah. Exactly. It's <laughs> In the middle sort of... of tea and biscuits. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, exactly like why are you not talking? Well, I'm not talking because I get killed if I did. Or I don't know. You know, it's just what. And then no. at the end, did she say, fuck you, pig? I ain't saying shit. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Just legging it. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, the, so this is, yeah, why we like talk about uh, Bufosh, because there is a connection there uh, to yeah. what we ended with the uh, last episode. We also have uh, um, some other people connected to the, the crime scene as well. Uh, and uh, that has a direct connection to Bufosh. And it's... Uh, uh, one of the first witnesses uh, at the scene, uh, Anders, uh, he was, right. yeah, he he was mentioned uh, by Hans Holmer as the national drunk that we <laughs> mentioned before because he was coming home from work uh, intoxicated. Uh, he had been out after work uh, with some colleagues at a restaurant. Uh, and apparently he worked at Bufosh, uh, so he was out with the Bufosh company, and they were having a send-off party for an, uh, I think it was a, an Iranian guy uh, that worked in the office that was going to uh, leave and go back to to Iran. Uh, so they had this uh, um, send-off uh, dinner. A leaving uh, do. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, just a couple of blocks uh, from the from the murder, uh, a couple of hours before. We were saying how like that drinking story doesn't hold up, right? Like we, you and me were talking, and and off mic with the the three of us were talking just you know now about how much we drink in the north of Europe, like England and well the Scandinavian countries, wherever wherever it gets really dark in the winter and really light in the summer, right? Like we drink too much, right? And <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. and this guy tries to get away with a story that he went out on a Friday night in the middle of February, well, in the end of February, and only drank during the happy hour and then stayed at the bar until 11 o'clock or something and didn't drink after six o'clock. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a made yeah. up story if I ever heard it. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, it sounds uh, a bit off, and and he is one of the the first witnesses at the scene that like sees the murder and hides in a uh, hides in an uh, yeah. Entrance. He tries to get away. He tries to get away. Uh, he he is stopped by somebody who who knows that he should have seen something, and and yeah. uh, like and, because... and people usually write this off as uh, you know that he was startled. Or in shock. And he was drunk as well. Yeah, because, yeah, right. Yeah, that he was intoxicated. Um, and isn't there a little bit weird things about you know we were saying also about he, uh, the leading up to him getting to the scene of the crime? There's some things too, right? Because at two different points he basically leaves the rest of the group without saying anything. And the the last group, uh, Sabi, you were saying that they were going to take out money from the Scandia house itself, right? Like the 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 ATM that was connected exactly. to Scandia. Exactly. So the, the the official story here is that he uh, he was at this uh, restaurant and uh, a couple of the colleagues uh, they were wanted to like go to a nightclub right after to continue mm-hmm. drinking and uh, they were I think six people and three of them uh, went a little bit ahead uh, and he was a part of that group uh, and they. Uh, uh, walked uh, in the direction of north, like meeting Palme uh, and uh, like Olaf Palme and Lisbeth Palme. Um, and then uh, in the Scandia building, they go uh, inside in the entrance where there's an ATM machine because they want to withdraw some cash for the nightclub. And he's standing outside waiting uh, for them to take out money. And then he decides to that night he's uh, too drunk, he will go home instead. But he doesn't tell the people uh, that are inside. So his mates, basically, that are withdrawing mm-hmm. cash. So he's just like, oh, fuck this, I want to leave, uh, and goes back. And this is when he becomes a, a witness to the, to the murder. And then we have the other group of, uh, I think there are also three people or something, uh, that were um, uh, behind, they decide to take a cab. So they are also like witnessing the murder, I think, but from within a car or they're like, um, uh, the, the cab go, goes by. Um, so uh, at the crime scene, we have a lot of people in m- moving around that are connected to Bofosh. Uh, so it's uh, enough to uh, raise an eyebrow uh, that something might be up here. Yeah. I have um, a question. When we've discussed, you know, the scene of the assassination, and it does seem like half of Stockholm was there, you know, on the street, certainly a lot of people. Has anybody ever come forward 
you know, particularly with like Steve Engstrom becoming the favorite um, suspect of the police, has anyone ever come forward and said, um, I saw that guy or I didn't see that guy? Uh, so Anders Björkman is one of the people, though, who, who does claim to see uh, Stieg. The thing is, he gives a lot of, like, um, you know, accurate observations of a man coming out of the... Well, he doesn't see him coming out of the Scandia building because that would clarify everything. But a, a man who, who does take the same route as Stieg Engström, the Scandia man. However, and here's the thing, even though he sees him for the, the most of the time, uh, the one who would have his eyes on him for the longest period of time. Uh, he, this is the Bufosh man, Anders Björkman, when the police arrives and, and a description of the assass, uh, the murderer, uh, is, is given, Anders Björkman, the Bufosh man's um, description, does not fit with the other people. He, he, it, mm. It's almost as if he's giving a sort of on the crime scene, the, you know, the most crucial uh, uh, description because you know this this is the one that's going to be used by by the you know the the the, the policeman who take up the um, the follow and um, uh, you know it, it's it's weird because there are so many people giving a description of the the murderer who are further away sees him for a less you know shorter period of time uh, but which still correlates in, in terms of you know everything that we put forward in the first yeah, episode yeah. whereas Anders Björkman's it's wrong on the age, wrong on the height, wrong on the description of the clothes, if I remember correctly. And it's almost, you know, as if it's a deliberate early disinformation um, thing. I, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, it's, it's difficult, right? Like, because this means that we were also saying, like, this is sort of untraveled territory in general, Palme lore, that you do not question the, the, the witnesses, right? Like they're usually held up as sort of, you know, Dharma protectors or like gatekeepers, right? Like they, like they really, sort of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas I don't know, like if I was going to put, you know, going to have some questions about some people, it would be uh, Anders Björkman and perhaps one of the people who were the security guards in the Scandia house as uh, the, the Scandia man leaves because uh, we all remember our good uh, Hans Holmier, right? Like how he went to on a skiing trip with his mistress. How could we forget? Yeah, how could we? <laughs> <laughs> well, it it's just so happens that uh, the lady who worked the, the security guard shift, um, who I, there is some stories also about whether she should have been there or not. Like people were covering for each other. So there's also some, you know, just as with the police, uh, how people were not, you know, in the position that they were meant to be and how people, uh, you know, got moved around on, on this very particular night. There mm -hmm. are some stories like this as well. And she lives in the same house as Hans Holmier's mistress. Uh, <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I looked that house up on Google Maps and it's not that big of an apartment building. It's one of those... Uh, you know, it's a three-floor one with uh, uh, the entrance of, of, of the the staircase, right? There would, should be one apartment to the left and one to the right on each floor. Yeah. So we're talking six families at best. Probably yeah, and some I mean, singles. It's Stockholm and, and um, Sweden in general, like it's a small country population-wise, but it's not like it's, uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, a uh, hundred people living in Stockholm. <laughs> so it's... Uh, <laughs> It's all odd. of these connections are odd, yeah. Yeah. 
And uh, there, there's another thing actually about the Scandiaman here because he only has one in and one out registering, I think, on his card throughout the day, even though we have, you know, documented eyewitness reports from the other security guards that he did leave for at least, I think, lunch during the day and then a dinner, uh, you know, during the night. And so there should have been, and you know, and even if that's not true, even if they were inaccurate, there's no way that there could have only been two in and outs because people were saying that, like, you know, you had on an average at least like six to nine, even if you weren't going out for lunch, like because, mm-hmm. you know, things happen and stuff like that. And yeah. so people have speculated, you know, that maybe she's an inside aide helping him in and out of the Scandia building. And uh, maybe she is the woman, for those who saw the Netflix series, uh, there is this ominous gate which is left open where the alarm went off, but nobody went to check it. Uh, which is a sort of separate entrance to the building. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there's, uh, you know, the, again, even though these people are usually held up as innocent bystanders and, you know, you're not allowed to touch upon this, I think there's some things to be said about some people in the vicinity who aren't just witnesses or being on site or whatever, you know. Right after the the, the murder, uh, or even before the murder, uh, there was a an investigation uh, by a police detective uh, regarding uh, Bofors uh, and their arms dealings. Uh, and um, after the murder, uh, it was opened up again. This investigation, uh, and they. Uh, uh, opened up a subfolder uh, connecting the arms trade uh, with the Palme murder, because as we will see, we also we don't only have people at the scene that have connections somehow to Bofors. We also have uh, what many people think is a pretty good motive uh, mm-hmm. for uh, wanting to get rid of Olaf Palme, um, and this. Uh, investigation was uh, um, called like the Bofors lead uh, because it was uh, its own thing there was uh, um, a lot of uh, cops um, or investigators actually wanted to look into uh, but during the first year of Holmer he uh, actively dismissed this uh, uh, like the findings and this lead uh, right they tried in, to bring in the instead, dossier uh, and uh, he was just like nah Exactly, and in, instead they opted for the for the the PKK lead. Um, so, what is this uh, uh, like uh, the Bofors scandal or this um, Bofors arms deal? Well, in English, uh, if you look it up in uh, at Wikipedia or if you Google uh, the Bofors scandal, you will see it referring to the. Um, um, like an arms deal uh, involving India and Sweden. And it was a political scandal that involved the bribes and weapon sales. Um, but uh, that's actually not uh, 
entire story because if we look at the um, the Bofors deal uh, or the Bofors scandal in in Swedish, um, it actually translates to Bofors affair because it's called Bofors affären, and it involves a series of uh, deals and affairs, uh, and not only this with India uh, that gets all the attention in the in English. Yeah, because um, the Indian government was toppled, right? Or like, I mean, it wasn't toppled like a coup or anything, but like the they lost. Yeah, they, uh, they, this power. fell the the yeah. the politician. Uh, yeah. What's his name now again? Uh, Gandhi. Yeah, there was another um, Gandhi, right? Like the third Gandhi by now. Right? Yeah, exactly. Rajiv Gandhi. Yeah, that's his name. Uh, mispronounced that probably, but uh, Rajiv Gandhi. Uh, so during this. Uh, uh, time there was a lot of uh, like investigations into uh, like the the affairs of uh, Bofors and this started as uh, early as the late 70s uh, and was uh, investigated throughout uh, Palme's second term um, so we have this uh, scandal and uh, within it, it's uh, two different uh, branches. One is the one re- uh, revolving around India, and it's uh, about uh, some uh, howitzers, you know, these large cannons uh, that they sold to the uh, Indian army, uh, and it involves uh, bribes at the high, uh, like the top level. Mm-hmm. to get a, this contract the, the biggest uh, weapons deal in 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 its uh, the company's history i think right uh, yes it's a, a very like a large order i think it's 800 uh, howitzers or something like that so and you can imagine just what one howitzer costs uh, because um, we didn't mention this before but we uh, might just uh, 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 a lot of schools in kashmir being put on hold <laughs> I yes, guess. yes. Uh, and uh, <laughs> we didn't mention this, but because Bofors, like they don't only make like guns or like uh, small firearms, it's uh, they specialize in uh, um, heavy cannons for uh, warships and for anti-aircraft and stuff like this. So mm-hmm. it's a very high-end uh, military tech. It's about as heavy as heavy industry can get, right? Yes, yeah. And then we have the the other uh, side of it that is uh, actually larger, but uh, that doesn't get mentioned uh, in in English when you look it up uh, as much. And it's the what I would call like the Bofors scandal B, if we call the India one Bofors scandal A, um, and that refers to. Uh, smuggling weapons uh, through the uh, through Singapore to the United Arab Emirates and also selling weapons to um, both sides in the Iraq Iran war. Mm. Um, and weren't so, they selling as well? Like before, even the A one, weren't they? Hadn't they also sold artillery pieces to Pakistan as well? And that was like sort of never. That was never really a problem. I don't know. Like I, I, I saw this interview yeah, with that, one that of the Indian. Yeah, that started in the late seventies, didn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, and um, and we will see. We will come to. I think we can make the case that uh, um, Bofors is actually like a player uh, within the Iran Contra, 
uh, and we will get to that later because mm-hmm. uh, when we look into all of the like the deeper ties we will see this is not just uh, an isolated Swedish company that is uh, doing these deals they are doing it within a larger network uh, and it's uh, one of the uh, how do you say like trade lanes or hubs uh, yeah uh, because one could think of it as you know Switzerland often get mixed up with Sweden, right? Because it sounds very similar in Spanish, for example, similar in Chinese. Uh, uh, people often ask you when you're Swedish, like, oh, uh, Switzerland. And like, no, it's uh, the other one in the <laughs> north. And then, <laughs> But I guess in terms of like arms trade, Sweden sort of a somewhat similar role to what Switzerland does in banking. Uh, it seems, at least during this period, that um, Sweden had this sort of... Uh, um yeah like don't tell but we'll make it happen kind of role yeah, yeah and you, a useful way of looking at it actually yeah and you have the the um, the cover of the social democratic party as well mm-hmm. so it's uh, quite uh, ingenious actually so this uh, Bofors scandal B then it refers to the fact that in 1979 and 1980 Bofors had smuggled 300 copies of the Robot 70 anti-aircraft missile missile uh, via Singapore uh, to the United Arab Emirates and uh, specifically to Dubai but also to Bahrain uh, and the Arms Export Act in Sweden prohibits uh, the export of military equipment to countries that are uh, either in war or at war, you probably put it like that, uh, at risk of war uh, or to countries that violate human rights. Uh, but to circumvent this, they sell, uh, they sold the, this Robot uh, 70 uh, to a company in Singapore that was called Unicorn International. Uh, which then resold it to Dubai and Bahrain. Classic name. Yeah, uh, Unicorn International. So innocent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, um, they also smuggled large quantities of naval guns and ammunition. Uh, and uh, this was also uncovered to go to places like Oman and Thailand. Uh, they sold... Uh, uh, grenade launchers uh, during the years of 1975 to 84 uh, and the public buyer uh, for this uh, during these uh, was uh, the British Ministry of Defense but the actual buyers were the United Arab Emirates, Oman, Qatar, Bahrain, Dubai, Ghana, Botswana, Abu Dhabi, Kenya and Malawi. Um, so the British were also involved uh, somehow uh, always pointing, pointing to uh, something larger you know the the year after uh, Olaf Palme was killed uh, on uh, January uh, the 15th in uh, 1987 a man suddenly fell onto the tracks of the Stockholm metro and was killed um, this incident could have ended up as a mere newspaper story uh, but the man in question was none other than Carl Fredrik Algenon, and he was one of the people involved in the Bofors affair, which had begun to be investigated. Uh, Henrik Westander, who was one of the investigators of the Bofors affair, recounts in his book 
uh, Bofors dissing affairs, that he worried that his and the other investigators' criticism had driven Algernon to suicide. But he later learned that three different people saw a person leaving the platform in a hurry and that one person saw between three and five people running from the platform in a connection with the commotion. Uh, And uh, other people have also come forth and said that uh, uh, they saw that uh, Algernon uh, fell backwards. So if he would have like jumped, uh, uh, yeah, if it was a suicide, that. he would just have like <laughs> felt back, like uh, you know, embracing Pocahontas his face, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. which is a little weird. So it's m- probably it was more of a house of cards uh, thing. With um, yeah, he got pushed. Uh, I think we eventually we have to get to that long list of ours of uh, suspicious deaths of people <laughs> mentioned in the uh, Palme saga who, yeah, for various reasons, yeah, for example, just backflips onto the subway <laughs> track and things like that. Yeah, and and during the the investigation, he had been the an investigator uh, for this. Uh, uh, well, we talked about last episode, I think, with uh, Stig Engström working at uh, Försvarets uh, materialverk, uh, the like uh, material uh, department within the mm-hmm. army. Like uh, the so he was stab, right? Oh, exactly. Yeah. So he was working there uh, and doing like an internal investigation. So he was not like a journalist or uh, a cop or anything uh, investigating this. It's like uh, they do their own uh, in-house uh, yeah. investigation uh, because of course uh, Bofors is also tied to the army supplying the Swedish army with their um, yeah, yeah. and they have to look into that uh, if they like uh, uh, have a supplier that is involved in weapons um, smuggling they this would uh, create a scandal um, yeah so they they have their own investigation and he was in in charge of this um, and um, uh, he was accused, uh, among other things, to have too readily approved of Bofors' requests for arms exports, uh, mainly to Singapore. A uh, large part of these uh, exported munitions were suspected to have ended up in the unauthorized countries of uh, uh, the United Arab Emirates uh, and Bahrain. Uh, and he is said to have been on good terms with the Bofors managing director, Martin Ardbro. Uh, and when he died uh, and fell in front of this uh, metro, uh, earlier during that day, he had met with uh, uh, the CEO, Anders G. Karlberg, uh, of uh, Nobel Industrier. It's uh, oh. a, a, a smaller company that is owned by Bofors. Uh, and during the conversation, Karlberg had told Al- Algernon uh, that an internal investigation had revealed the, in- uh, the existence of smuggling. Um, and Algernon had found himself in a conflict of loyalties. Uh, since he was a key person in the investigation of the Bofors affair, it was uh, speculated that he was pushed. And the police also decided to open a criminal investigation after the train driver, among others, witnessed uh, that he f- uh, fell backwards, uh, like I said. Right. Um, Even the driver of the train saw that. I mean, that's yes. interesting. Yeah. 
And um, I, what's the deal, honestly, like with uh, United Arab Emirates and like Dubai and stuff? Like, I mean, we all know like what kind of image they have today. You know, it's just a kind of obscene Islamicate uh, brothel or something. I don't know. Like, you know, I, it's like it's so absurd. Like, it's uh, yeah, it's just uh, grotesque wealth and luxury. yeah, 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 and. Um, I, I wonder, like, what when when did these like nations come to be? And like, I always imagined they were there to sort of funnel. Of course, we'll see that oil pops up later in this story as well. Like that sort of, sort of seems to be the the general currency for a lot of these weapons deals. But but I don't know. Like, oh, you you mentioned Oman as well, right? Like Oman is like one of the last uh, sultanates in the world, right? And uh, Bahrain as well another one of these like just these micro states right again and again that seems to be operating as links in this uh, network of oil and 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 weaponry yeah and um, so this ties to palme because uh, all of this was unfolding um during the like uh, the last years uh, of his life and of his um, when he was the head of government um, and in the background of all of this we have the Iraq Iran war um, and uh, in uh, 1979 the, the revolution uh, was in Iran and the Shah was ousted and in 1980 uh, Iraq goes to war with Iran uh, the war would end in 1988 so it was went on for eight years um, and iran under the shah was a former friend of sweden in iran there was a lot of swedish weapons and uh, uh, other weapons that needed uh, maintenance and ammunition uh, and the iranians contacted the swedish government and bofors among others and wanted to buy weapons uh, but um, here was a like a problem uh, uh, that uh, the government had it was a conflict of, of interest because uh, Iraq also contacted the Swedish government and Iraq was also a, f- a friend of Sweden uh, under... such a friendly place yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. and so but you know yeah. what like strikes me like I don't know maybe we should cut this but like how our grandfather like worked in both Iraq and Iran during the 80s and I've never thought about it but right now it <laughs> fucking hates me like what <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What was he doing over there? Yes. Do you want me to cut that or do you want me to keep it in? So it's up to Seb there. He's more uh, precautious when it comes to these kind of things. We can, we can yeah. talk about it later. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Um, um, but yeah, so during this time, we just had, like have, for example, like the Sweden, they would sell weapons to both uh, these countries. And uh, they would uh, um, change their like uh, tactics uh, or their um, on uh, depending on which side that was winning, uh, and they were um, like uh, during at just one point, uh, just to give an example, like in. Uh, 81 uh, Iraq bought um, Swedish trucks uh, 6,000 like heavy industry trucks you know that uh, of course is not uh, 
um, they don't have cannons or they're not tanks, but during the war, they're used for the war effort, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this was uh, ar- around the 20% of the entire Swedish truck export uh, at that year. A lot of um, these uh, types of dealings were going on. And uh, like I said there with the... The amount of trucks that they sold just in one year, and uh, how uh, like uh, um, that it was twenty uh, percent of the entire share uh, of the exports during that uh, year for trucks uh, talks, uh, you know, clearly in itself uh, that this was something that was very profitable and uh, was. Uh, Involving a lot of people, uh, both in military, in the manufacturing, uh, and also, of course, uh, within politics as well. Uh, because during this time, um, after the the revolution, there was uh, sanctions on Iran, and uh, officially, no Western powers uh, should be trading with them, uh, or with uh, Iraq, uh, for that matter, as well, uh, during the war. But uh, that didn't stop uh, Bofors from uh, making a killing, uh, literally. Um, I think what's uh, really scary about this is, so this is taking place in parallel with uh, the enterprise operation in America. For uh, I mean, I'm, I would say this is probably part of it. And it's not even just like Sweden that is involved here. There are like arms companies from all over the world who are part of this network that's just funneling guns into Iraq and Iran and keeping the war going. Yeah. That's pretty scary. Yeah. And uh, I mean, Bofosh sold, uh, you know, iron to both or all three sides, let's say, of like the Napoleonic Wars as well. Like the the British, the French and the, uh, well, the the Russians didn't really need it and they were on the side of the French initially at least. But then Sweden sides with Russia as well. So it's like, yeah, they 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 know how to do this. They've been doing it for like hundreds of years. Like, yeah, it's just pure profit-driven rapaciousness, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah, and uh, in a radio interview in Los Angeles on the fourteenth of July in nineteen ninety-seven, the quote defected. Uh, CIA agent uh, Gene Ship Tatum uh, revealed that a special group created by uh, then uh, US Vice President and later President George Bush mm-hmm. uh, was behind the assassination of the Swedish Prime Minister in addition to several other atrocities. Uh, the most according to Tatum was that Palme who was also the UN peace broker in the Iran-Iraq war had intervened against the international arms cartels and thereby prevented them from using what he called the Bufosh route to sell Ahmad, uh, to sell Ahmad uh, among other things American weapons to authorized countries for onward ship to warring Iran. In the radio interview, Tatum also claimed that the OSG commissioned the South African agents to carry out the attack. Thank you.
uh, there's something I've mentioned before, but I might as well mention it again, just in case anyone missed it the first time. So we just mentioned George Bush. So uh, Licio Gelli, who was the, the head of the P2 Masonic Lodge in Italy, after Olof Palme was killed, he sent a telegram to Philip Guarino, who is himself a very interesting guy. He's like a, at the time, he was like a GRP operative. And it, the telegram is supposed to have said, tell the white rose that the Swedish tree has been felled, words to that effect. And apparently, um, the white rose was George Bush's codename. It was like Lee Chiagelli's, uh a codename and a pet nickname that he had for George Bush. Yeah. This and is connected also- to that spy who's got like... Uh- He's got like so many. I tried to find him, the guy who was involved uh, in the P2 launch. Uh, he worked for a, a German newspaper newspaper called the Semite. And so I, I assumed he was Mossad. Oh, and, uh, and I don't know, like you can search like the internet and find like, I mean, on every one of his aliases, there are like five books where he appears at least. Like I did it on like the library, like just going through all his aliases and he um yeah i mean he's been you know called out as an mi6 as a cia uh never saw mossad though but that seemed to make the most sense to me yeah uh and yeah he was also involved in this uh yeah this telegram right like the p2 telegram the infamous one there there, there is also the um, uh this um there's some evidence, uh, I don't know if it's fabricated or if it's real, but uh, with the Operation 3, have you heard about that one? That the Operation 3 was the... Um, yeah, that, that's the uh, one. The, right? the, 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 the plan to kill Olaf Palme. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, that's, uh, he was the one who came forward with that information, wasn't it? Yeah, and there are some leaked documents uh, of mm-hmm. that uh, where they talk about like Operation 3. Um, but Somehow we you don't gotta know give... if it's uh, if if it's fabricated because everything like when it's like all these you know ex spooks yeah. coming out uh, yeah. and like uh, telling on each other it's very hard you know and it's uh, mm-hmm. hard to know what is real and what isn't. But I'm thinking, Matt, uh, do you think I need to clarify for your listeners what the OSG is, or have you talked uh, touched about that before? Yeah, if you could um, just expand on that a bit, actually, because this is interesting. Yeah, because the the OSG was um, uh, the operations subgroup um, that was created under the CIA. So it was uh, a part of an organization that reported directly to the National Security Council and the office of the vice president uh, um, during the Reagan years. So under Bush, basically. Um, and um, this organization, uh, which came to be known as the U.S. Secret Government, uh, um, was um, um, all of these different agencies uh, like working in tandem. Uh, and um, it was uh, said to that they didn't report to their uh, regular employers like the CIA or the NSA or something, but directly to this uh, OSG Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, directly to the vice president and Bush. I mean, that makes sense uh, given his like placement in all of the the clandestine structure. Yeah. And I was going to say like somehow got to give credit to like Palme to be on the hate list of like, from Nixon to Bush, basically. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah. I don't know if you, you were planning on using it, but that recorded interview, well, not an interview, it's a phone call, right? Between Kissinger 
and Nixon, where where they're discussing a supposed conspiracy. Like, and Nixon is trying to convince Kissinger, Kissinger that that Palme is part of this conspiracy, and and Kissinger is like, I I, I, didn't, believe, I didn't I didn't believe it before, sir, but now I do now. And it's yeah. like, well, effect of immediately tomorrow, the the ambassador in in Sweden, he will he will withdraw the ambassador. And yeah, it's just I don't know, just old man's conspiring for a, well, we will be at least twenty years then by then, right? Like from yeah, yeah. from from Poppy yeah. to to Nixon. Yes, to kind of bring it back to Bufarge, I have read before. I want to get your read on this. Um, the assassination of Olaf Palme was actually a contingency plan that they'd had for quite a few years because apparently they felt sufficiently threatened by him that they felt that at some point, Bufosh and their agents did, they felt at some point that they may have to take you know, uh, lethal measures to stop him looking into what they were up to. Um, have you had that before? Uh, yes, I have actually. And this is... Um interesting that you bring it up because now i think we get to the the real heart of it you know the heart of darkness um, the meat of the man uh, that uh, we have like the the international arms trade so i don't think like we spoke before that you know olaf palme was killed because uh, of his uh, stance on vietnam or or something like this with which i also think uh, a lot of the time was bullshit yeah, because it doesn't make any sense, right? It's already over. Like, why hmm. do you think it's like a curse or a grudge? Exactly. Like, but yeah. when he, like, uh, starts fucking with the money flow... Mm-hmm. Uh, of a contemporary time, right? Yeah, then something has to be done. And yeah. I've also heard, like you mentioned, that uh, there was a lot of other plans to have him, like, killed... Uh, uh, like I think the earliest one that I've heard is in 1975, uh, when he was ab- abroad. Uh, there was a plan, but it was uh, uh, cancelled. So I-, I think this was in the works for uh, a long time, and I think he had started uh, like messing with forces uh, beyond him. Um, so I think there's uh, some uh, substance to to these claims. Yeah. I've got to wonder if they had similar contingency plans for like Jeremy Corbyn or something, not to get off on a tangent or anything, but that's been a suspicion of mine for years now, that yeah. if he had been elected, something would have happened, you know? Mm. Yeah, but Corbyn is already active at this time as well, right? Like he goes way back too. But I don't know about Corbyn that much. So, but but did he? Would he have done anything that would have like tampered with the arms trade, for instance, or like heavy industry in general? For me, there were there were enough warning signs, you know, during the second election campaign. I think that was the one when the paratroopers released that video of themselves using them as target practice on a shooting range. That is fucking insane that that actually yeah. happened. Yeah. <laughs> Just like the the actual full weight of that took ages to sink in. Like they released a death threat to a politician in Britain in right. 2019. And all they got was like a disciplinary, and that was yeah. it. And that's exactly like with Olaf Palme when yeah. uh, the like conservative parties had his. Uh, they sold, you know, dartboards with him. Yeah, as, yeah. Uh, like and that's the, the thing, the mot- right? Like people think motive. that was uh, spontaneous. Like it often, you know, it's often portrayed as this sort of like populist, uh, uh, you know, 
hatred of power but it, it, that wasn't the case at all you know it was yeah. like it was well funded by like people of the SAF the you know the Swedish um, uh, worker givers givers federation like one of the oldest sort of semi secret societies of industrialists and bankers they they funded a lot of that and also i remember we touched upon you know the wage taker fund in the first or the second episode that demonstration like one of the last demonstrations against the wage taker funds was also one of the biggest demonstrations in the history of sweden it was also funded by them like they even paid people's plane tickets to get to the demonstration like yeah, that's how yeah. eager they were to give the the illusion of this as being you know a populist message against power you know and that's yeah. like an old tactic right i mean what the fuck are the nuremberg logs uh, i'm sorry the nuremberg meetings if not like you know professional populism like where you pay yeah. people to show up and to make it look like this is the the the, the general majority you know or the like an organic of, yeah groundswell yeah. of support yeah, right? yeah. but so here um um with like the Bofors lead, uh, we have uh, two uh, international leads uh, joining together. And what is the like the substance of this? We know that uh, Palme on several occasions uh, directly intervened against Bofors, and he stopped certain arms transport uh, that uh, had uh, Iran as their final destination. Uh, and it is claimed, for instance, uh, that it was Palme who ensured that on the 29th of September 1985, the customs police uh, had intervened at the office of the arms dealer Carl Erik Schmitz uh, in Malmö, uh, where thousands of documents were seized, uh, which showed in detail how the international arms and gunpowder cartel uh, operated on both sides of the Iron Curtain, not least uh, through a country like the German Democratic Republic, uh, which largely financed uh, the, its uh, state budget through the arms smuggling organized by uh, Stasi Security Service. Yeah, this guy, he's, uh, he pops up a lot. in like uh, When you get into this section of uh, the Palme story, this Karl-Erik Schmitz, right? Like he's, uh, seems to be a, a big player. Yeah, and, and Bofors played an important role here uh, through uh, Schmitz, uh, who incidentally had been identified by some reliable sources uh, as a CIA employee with a direct contact to Oliver North. Ding. Yeah, <laughs> uh, the man who was uh, sacrificed uh, during the so-called uh, Iran-Contra affair. Um, and we should not forget that... Uh, uh, Iran Contra was only like half a year later than the Olaf Palme murder, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. so it's around the, the, the same time. I think what's really interesting about this part of the story, when we're talking about these arms companies and you know security state officials and whatnot, you see how at that level, way up there, all these boundaries, like national or ideological, they just dissolve away because mm-hmm. there's money to be made. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's the, really it's the true face of uh, of like an international oligarchy of, of mm-hmm. banking and, and heavy industry, you know, like, because, yeah, I mean, yeah, we already, we, we touched upon this like really early as well, right? Like they haven't been caring so much about national borders for, well, at least 300, 200 years, you know, like they yeah. figured yeah. out early that war is good for business, basically. Yeah. 
Uh, and according to this uh, quote-unquote uh, uh, former uh, CIA agent, uh, Gene Ship Tatum, um, Palme had threatened to go to the UN and reveal everything he knew about the US uh, illegal arms trades uh, uh, with the regime in Iran and Contras um, um, via Bufosh. Um, and there was also evidence that uh, some of the arms trade uh, was uh, financed with uh, drugs as payment, um, a fact that uh, had caused uh, considerable outrage uh, when it was revealed uh, as the like, uh, Iran-Contra story broke. Right, that sounds very much like Iran-Contra operandi. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's part of the classic pattern. This show has been talking about it for like three, four years now. Drugs are kind of the currency of the underworld you know between spooks and gangsters and Mm -hmm. you know banks as well let's be real like after the recession um drugs were a really good source of liquid currency a liquid capital even um so yeah this does not surprise me at all that drugs are also appearing now yeah and uh, uh what we can end off this uh part with the bufosh here is that uh, in um uh, Martin Ardbrus uh, uh, personal uh, uh, diary he had um, written uh, and that's that, the uh, director of Bofors right yeah the director of Bofors mm. he had uh, written down that uh, uh, Palme's involvement uh, in the Bofors uh, scandal uh, could lead to the fall of the Swedish government uh, and what he meant by that is a secret that he uh, will took to his grave.